John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw. I want you to say that with me. Saw. That's kind of scattered. Let's try this again. Say saw. Okay. And Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. You've got to love how John puts that in there without identifying himself, right? And he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, <clears throat> hint, hint, and reached the tomb first, and stooping in to look, he saw, okay, stick with me here, so say it again, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, notice how he does that again, right? He, he outran him, and then Peter, following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the word of God. Amen? And you may be seated. So a couple of years after uh, Jennifer and I got married, that's when we were young and thin and um, ambitious and adventurous and all that kind of stuff. And we were living in, in central Indiana at the time. We decided for one of our anniversaries, we would go down to southern Indiana, in which they have a whole bunch of caves. We thought we would take and try our hand at spelunking. So uh, having talked to a couple of our friends, they, they informed us of this cave that was off the grid. Uh, you took this back road to get there and, and all this kind of stuff. So we, we started preparing. We, uh, we got a couple of headlamps. Now remember, this is mid to late 90s, so incandescent headlamps, a couple AA batteries. You could see all of like three feet in front of you, right? Now you've got the LEDs that run off of, you know, for 20. Yeah. So, so we got headlamps. We grabbed some rope because we were told this might be a place where you want to just know that you're connected to one another. And uh, we drove down. We stayed the night, I, I think, at a, at a B&B. And uh, I'm looking for my wife. She's going to confirm my story as I go along. So I think that was our first year at that B&B that we stayed at. And then we went out the next day, and we're like, we're going to go find this. So we were dressed for spelunking. So we show up. No, that's not me. So we show up. We find the parking space, and, and, and everything's a little sketch because it's in the middle of nowhere. It's not on the beaten path, and it's not on a map anywhere. We pull off, and we're like, okay, we know there's a hole somewhere that you have to go down. So we start, we start scrambling around, and we're looking. We're like, hey, here's a hole. But we're like, I don't know that either of us can fit that. And so we looked around. Finally, we found what we thought was the hole. We thought was the hole. And uh, so we decided one of us should, like, go down and, and check it out. Because what we were told is you got to go down a few feet, and then you, then you squeeze into the opening to get there. And so I don't remember whether Jennifer or I first, you know, one of us dropped down in there, and we looked. I think I went first. I'm not sure. I'm going to say that I went first. I outran, I outran her. The, the disciple that Jesus loved outran her. Um, and so I kind of look, 
And I climbed back out. I think she even had to help me back out because it, it was that type of... And uh, I looked at her and I said, I'm not sure. And so she goes down and she's looking in there and, and I help her back up and she comes up and we look at each other and we come to a mutual agreement. Because what we understood is if you could get yourself and your body contorted to get into this tunnel, you had a few yards to go in. And then after you get in a few yards, there's basically a, a, a narrow like 18 inches. Is that about 18 inches? There? Is that better? Okay. 18 inches. I'm looking at the contractor here. He's saying about 18 inches. Then there's about an 18-inch, 100-yard belly crawl. With rock above you. But they kept telling us, once you get through there, it opens up and it is beautiful. And we looked at each other and we said, it's not worth it. So we wound up with a couple of headlamps and some rope and some other stuff that we never used for spelunking again. Our perspective changes based on what we see. Our perspective changes based on what we see. Jennifer and I, what we saw in the visual image of our friends talking to us about spelunking this particular cavern became a lot different when we saw physically what was there and had to be, you know, crawled through literally. This morning, as we look at our passage, uh, I want us to hold this preposition up front. God wants us to look beyond what we see with our eyes. God wants us to look beyond what we see with our eyes. Note as we go into our passage here. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. While it was still dark. Now we understand that John's talking about early in the morning. The other gospels show tell us that, that it was early in the morning when they went out. But But the reality is that since Friday afternoon, it has been dark. Now think of this, Mary's up, she's excited, she wants to run down there, finish up the burial process, so so maybe it's so early her eyes aren't quite focused yet. She's going on, but, but as she looks back, as she thinks of the events of the weekend, she thinks back to Friday, and at the point in time that Jesus is hanging on the cross, and, and, and we know that when Jesus lets out the words, it's finished, what's taking place atmospherically? Storms have rolled in. There is thunder. There is lightning. The the temple curtain has been ripped. There's nothing that tells us the storms let up. There's nothing that said, oh, you know, after about 30 minutes of that, when they were going to take him off the cross and put him, that, that everything was bright and sunny again. So it's really a good thought to have that since Friday afternoon, it has been dark. And so Mary continues in this darkness. It's quiet. She wants to sneak in the darkness to get there. Let's be honest. This is a place where all of us at some point in time find ourselves in the darkness. Things are going so well. Keep in mind, this is one week after This huge parade celebrating Jesus, crying out, Hosanna! One week later, Mary in the dark is walking to the tomb. 
We've all been there one week. Life is going great. Things are on a high. We're shouting out and worshiping Jesus. We're celebrating all that God's doing. And then, boom, darkness hits. Darkness hits. And, and we feel the burden. Can you put yourself into the story in chapter 20 of John, verse 1, and can you feel the weight of the darkness present? And so I ask ourselves as we are here this morning celebrating the resurrection, where do I find myself in this season? Is there some darkness that I'm navigating? There's some difficult times that I'm walking through at this moment in time. Let me invite the kids to come up. Oh, don't get excited. We're nowhere near the end of the sermon. I'm just bringing them up early this time. Good morning, gang. How we doing? Good, good Easter morning so far? Good? A lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of celebration. Yeah? You guys, you guys, you forgot it was Easter? Oh, oh boy. We'll have to straighten that out. Hey there, Grace. Why don't you come sit over here? Excellent. Thank you. Any of you go on, like, nature hikes, go hiking on trails, go out into the woods, and you used to all the time? You still go in the woods, just not, not as much like long hikes or anything like that. Yeah, have you ever been on a hike and you're walking around and you see something maybe at a, at a little bit of a distance? It doesn't have to be a great distance. I, I mean, especially the older you get, the, the closer it could still be. But you look at it and you're kind of like, well, I, I see something over there. I want to go look at it a little closer. Ever, ever had that? Yeah? Maybe it's a flower or, or tree. Maybe it's a polar bear around here. You got some other issues, but it could be Sasquatch. Um, but you, you look in a distance. It could be an animal, though, right? It, it could be something else, but you're, you're looking at a distance. And so you go up closer to it. We'll say maybe it's a leaf or, or something of that nature. You get up closer. What, what is something else that can help you look more closely at it? Binoculars could help you look closer at it or a magnifying glass, right? So sometimes we have tools that we use to, to look more closely at some, or a telescope. We, you're, you're jumping the gun. Shh, hold on a second. So sometimes, sometimes we might take, let's say, a leaf off of a plant or a petal from a flower, right? And we look at it with the microscope. Some of us just read nowadays with one of these. But, um, but when we're out in nature, we might use one of these to look at it closer. And, and can you see more detail? Can you get more information about it from looking like this to moving the magnifying glass over it? Yeah. Oh, wow. But, as we've already been revealed, we can use something else, another tool that gets us even closer look at it. What is it? A microscope. And we have one sitting up there. I didn't want to bring it down because I don't want to be responsible for breaking it or for any of you breaking it. So, it's sitting up there. You have a microscope? Excellent. But you could take that leaf or you could take that petal of a flower and you could stick it under the microscope. And can you see even more closely? Can you get more detail out of it? Yeah, sometimes if you get them thin enough, you can even do it with your blood. Not see it more clearly, but you can put your blood on the, under the microscope. Yeah, and then you can start to see cells. You see walls that are, that are containing the cells or, or uh, in the case of the plants, we see the cellular walls, right? So... Scientists do that all the time. So, so 
as we're out in nature looking around, we understand that we can see from a distance, but then we can get closer to it, and we can get closer to it, and we can get closer to it. And are we still seeing the same thing? In general, yes, but we're, we're starting to see it better. We're starting to see with more detail and all that kind of stuff. Guess what? The same thing is true in our spiritual life. We can see things, but then we have tools, we have resources that can move us closer and closer, and we can see things better, and we can see things from a different angle or a different perspective. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in John chapter 20. Okay? So I want, you to, I want you to be listening this morning for all the times that we talk about seeing okay? and the different ways to see. Well, thank you guys. I think they have some stuff in the back for you. Actually, I'm very confident they have some stuff in the back for you. So, I'm not going to use the magnifying glass to preach with. I'm not that old and bad yet. But I'm getting closer. If if we want to hold to this proposition that God wants us to look beyond what we see with our eyes, then we need to understand how we see. And so as we go through this passage, first of all, John highlights the curious looker, if you would. Or the curious look at the resurrection. On the first day, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran. She told Peter and John, and they came. And if you flip over to verse 5, and stooping in to look, John, that's the he, John saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. These two words for saw or see are from the Greek word blepo. Okay, great word, blepo. Start just using that with students and family. I blepo you. They're going to look at you a little strange. But blepo carries with it this, just this idea of physical sight. Okay, I, I see. I, I see Corey wearing a greenish tie. I see a blue hat. I see people in the room. I see the sun is still shining, and we're grateful for that when we go to the water. I see, you know, a lot of different things. It's used frequently when Jesus is healing blind people. They receive their blepo, their sight, their physical ability to see. And this is true of Mary and of John at the initial look that they have. Think about it. Mary gets there. It's still maybe, you know, just starting to get a little sunlight. It's a little dark. She's maybe still waking up. And the first thing she sees is what? The stone rolled away. She doesn't even go in yet, right? She just, she comes into the garden. She sees the stone is rolled away, maybe like that picture up there. And her assumption from seeing that is somebody's taken his body. They've taken him. See, here's the scary thing is that often our visual sight leads us to assumptions that aren't accurate. 
John and Peter have this foot race, right? John gets there. He gently declares his victory over Peter. Goes in, stoops, and actually looks in now. Maybe in his mind as he's running, he's like, you know, Mary said that she had just gone to the garden and saw the stone rolled away. Maybe he's really in there, but somebody just rolled the stone away. So, so John's hustling, and they're, you know, they're, they're, I wouldn't be surprised with John and Peter. I wouldn't be surprised that they're, like, trying to trip each other in this race. They're elbowing each other, moving them out of the way. You know, one's running straight, not paying attention, so he runs into a tree. Um, all these sorts of things to get there. But John gets there, and he goes, I, I remember Mary saying that she saw the stone rolled away. I, I wonder. So he stoops down and looks in. And the observation he makes is that the linen cloths lie, were lying there, but he didn't go in. Maybe as he approached the tomb, he had the same initial thought as Mary. They did. Somebody did steal the body. This is crazy. We've got grave robbers in Jerusalem just after Passover. And, and, but he goes, I'm going to go a little further. So he, he looks in. But notice that in both cases, Mary and John only made a physical observation. We saw that the stone was rolled away. We saw that the grave clothes were sitting there. How often does this get us into trouble? Thank you, Kelly, for your honesty. We, we see something happen, a, a particular action transpire, and we start going through our minds, oh, well, well we know what happened. My law enforcement officers in here, how many testimonies does it take to get it right? How many eyewitnesses do you have to interview to actually put the story together? Because how we see it affects our perspective of things. A person does something, they appear to be blessed by God, and we assume that that's how it must be done for us to get blessed by God. We assume we prayed for somebody that needed healing. We don't see them for a month. Next time we see them, they're healed, and we assume, oh, the prayer healed them. Maybe it did. This morning, it's Easter Sunday morning, and I have to ask the question, is that how we look at our relationship with God? Is my relationship with Jesus so shallow that all I see is see him with my physical eyes. Not obviously Jesus physically here, but, but I'm just using my physical eyes to see. I, I've heard about Jesus. I've read the Bible stories. I've heard that he heals people and he, he does work. And, and so I'm kind of checking him out. If I had been part of the parade last week, I would have been one of those people kind of off in a distance looking and going, well, there's something happening there, but I, I don't know that I really want to get involved with it. I happen to be walking around on Friday, and I see three criminals, right? What we see affects how we perceive. So I see three men hanging on a cross. I assume they're all three criminals. And I see this label, the king of the Jews, and I go, huh, and I walk on. Not really that invested in him or his teaching, even though I'm aware of who Jesus is. 
perhaps as I look at Easter, I find myself either skeptical that this whole resurrection thing actually took place, or I'm only mildly interested in the empty tomb. Some of us may even be here this morning because somebody said, I'll treat you to lunch afterward. And we hope pastor doesn't go so long the lunch burns today. For some of us, Easter is just a cursory look at Jesus. Maybe we're even here skeptically and we're looking to find the flaws in the story. By the way, if you are, that's fine. You join many who over 2,000 years have tried to find the flaws in the story. So in this idea of, of taking the resurrection and a curious look, I ask us, where am I currently only a curious spectator of Jesus? Where in my spiritual journey am I sitting there going, oh, I, I know I've heard these things about Jesus, but I don't know. I've heard he actually has the power to heal people, but that would just be weird to stand there and pray over somebody and see their leg actually stretch right in front of me. And so, you know what? I, that's great for Jesus. It's not good for me. And so I'm curious, but I don't really want to pursue it. I've heard that Jesus will give us new life and we can have a vibrant life if we're willing to follow Jesus. And yet I see so many Christians who seem to look at life pathetically. So I don't, I, I'm curious, but I don't really know that I, where am I? Maybe I was raised going to church doing this whole thing every year. Christmas and Easter Christianity, right? Maybe I was raised that way and I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not sure that I want one. Maybe I've been a Christian for a chunk of my life, but I don't really engage in following him. I just like having the fire insurance. The curious look. The curious look. But John doesn't stop. He's not content with just the curious look. He moves on to the careful look. The careful look. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came. Here's good old Simon. He came finally. Because I could tell you the whole story. I, I was sitting there. I already looked into the tomb. I told Simon everything that was going on. But Simon finally caught up to me. And he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Peter went into the tomb. He starts looking around and he's like, okay, they were, there's no body here. But he also starts to pick up some of the details and he goes, if they stole the body, why would the cloths be lying here? I mean, really, why would you take a naked Jesus out of the tomb? What did you keep? I mean, Besides the, 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 the dried blood, everything that's on him yet, right? Everything that confirmed the, the fluids, all this kind of stuff. Why would you want that? Oh, by the way, if it's a good Jew, you're unclean now. So 
So here's Peter looking around and he starts scratching his head going, something's not right here. I, I don't I don't buy into Mary's theory that somebody took him. And John helps us out because this word here for saw in verse 6 is theoreto. Theoreto, it's, it means seeing as in observing or discerning or considering. It means to see with an attempt to make sense of what has been seen. It's the root word that we get for theater. The word we get for theory. I see something, but there's something more to what I just saw. So I start to process and put pieces together. If you go to theater just for a good show, you're missing out on the heart intent of theater. Because theater is about figuring out the story as it moves along in the process. About understanding the development of characters and the context of all that's taking place. Theoreto includes thinking and deciphering what the visual clues actually mean. Keep in mind, there remains a visual blepo with theoreto, but it takes what I've seen and starts to put pieces together. I see an action and I attribute meaning through the observation. As I talked with the kids, theoreto is this idea of grabbing the magnifying glass. I'm not content just with what I initially saw, but I want to investigate a little bit further and figure out what's going on. Peter's trying to put the pieces together. Fact. Stones rolled away. Fact. There ain't no body in the tomb. Fact. The grave clothes are laying in there just like John said. Fact. The head covering is folded up nicely, laying on the opposite end of the concrete, stone, whatever bed. Peter goes, these facts lead to something else. Something's, now I don't know, maybe Peter initially said, okay, they as in maybe the Romans or the Jews didn't steal it, because that doesn't make sense. So, So what could make sense of this? Maybe Peter's first thought was, You know, those zealot disciples? I can see those zealot disciples coming in here and doing something like this. Because they'd make it look like Jesus disappeared. So Peter's mind's wandering. He's going, there's more to this story, but I just, I I don't get it all entirely. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 2, and a large crowd was following him, that is Jesus, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. That's an interesting way of stating that, right? The signs he was doing on the sick. But anyway, they saw, they theoretoed. They, they didn't just see that somebody got healed. They didn't see that somebody saw, saw, got sight. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we all saw that. They're like, there's something going on here. Which is why later in John we find that, well, later on in that chapter, we find that Jesus had great disciples that left him. 
Because they, they spent time going, there's something more to this than somebody walking around healing people. There's something more to it. Their minds are, are churning. Let's, let's go back to Mary in John chapter 20. We're going to pick the story back up in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So at this point in time, the other two, John and Peter, have kind of wandered off. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she was, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So now she's gone, okay, there's, there's something more in all of this. And she, okay, come on, you're still awake, right? And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. See, just pause for a second. She's still convinced that what her eyes have seen has simply been that somebody stole the body. Somebody's taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw, say that, saw who? Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. What did we say Mary first saw as? Lepo. She came into the garden. She saw the stone was rolled away. She goes, oh, and her perception made assumptions, led her to, they stole his body. Now she goes in. She looks in the tomb. She sees angels. They they engage with her. And she says, I saw. Mary saw the angels. She saw Jesus. She theoretoed. She goes, Okay, I'm not just seeing things. There are pieces here that are, that are, there's something more to this whole story now. I, I thought somebody stole the body, and inside she's still kind of convinced of that, because when the angels ask her, what are you doing here? She's like, they took my Lord. Theoretto doesn't necessarily change our perceptions or our assumptions. It just goes, there's something more to the story, and I need to put these pieces together. Keep in mind, if you would, another total sermon that Larry might preach sometime, or Christina. Where are the angels? At the head and the feet. If, as it is often believed, they are representing the mercy seat, which is located in the the most holy of holies. Think about this. Then when Mary looks in and interacts with the angels, she as a woman is the first one to enter into the most holy of holies of the new covenant. You want me to bow, Christina? <laughs> this is the foremost indica- indicator that the new covenant has been established. Jesus already said it, right? Take of this bread, eat of this, drink of this wine. I'm establishing this new covenant. And the evidence of the establishment of that new covenant is Mary, a woman who had been possessed, enters into the most holy place as the first person. No longer needed the priest. You think Mary might have been starting to put pieces together to go, there's something more to this whole thing. Maybe this is where my relationship is with Jesus this morning. 
as I come to Easter, as I come to the resurrection story, the empty tomb, maybe this is where my relationship is with Jesus. I, I've been engaged in religious activities. I, I feel like there's more to what I've seen or heard about Jesus, but I don't yet believe. I'm not quite convinced of it. So I ask us, where is my life on the fence concerning Jesus? As I look at my life, as I look at my religious practices, and that's what we're going to call them at this moment in time, as I look at my religious practices, where in the journey am I kind of like, he's, he's more than just a prophet, he's more than just some old guy that knew scripture, he's more than just a rabbi that taught in the Old Testament, or the New Testament, he, he's more than just, but I don't know that I'm sold yet. And see, we, we can have aspects of that in our life. Even in following Jesus, even in saying, I, I commit my life to Jesus Christ. When Jesus speaks through scripture to us and we're like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Where am I on the fence in my relationship with Jesus? John moves us down from the curious look to the confident, or to the, uh, what, thank you. See, I have to scroll my careful look to what I just said, my, confident look the confident look we go back up in the story verse 8 then the other disciple that is John then the other disciple that is John verse 8 who had reached the tomb first he just he just wants to make sure you know which disciple he's talking about okay also went in and he Stick, stick with me for like 10 more minutes, okay? John goes in and he saw and believed. We come to our third word for seeing. Horao. Horao. To see in this context means to see with the mind, to see spiritually, to see with an inward perception. Again, there still remains blepo involved because I see it, but it goes from my head to my heart. What I saw, I now believe. The seeing action is to grasp the truth of my observation. Can you imagine? Again, John gets there first. He peeks in. He steps back. Peter goes in. And maybe he sees Peter in there dumbfounded. And part of him goes, <laughs> that's just Peter. And then part of him goes, no. He, like, like I see the smoke coming out of Peter's head. There, I, there's something more in this that I missed. And so he goes back in to see some more. He takes a big picture to, to take it all in. Can you imagine when it clicked for John? I wonder if he went flush. Remember, he's writing the story. I wonder if he passed out. See, if Peter were writing the gospel, he'd be like, yeah, so that other disciple, he beat me there, but when he figured it out, he boom, he was out. I wasn't sure if he was slain in the spirit or just faint of heart, but he was out. That would be Peter's version of the same gospel, right? 
how did how did John react? He sees and believes. Maybe as we talk to the kids, this is taking the microscope. It's looking at it more in depth. It's it's going, okay, that's really cool that 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 petal stays together. But then I throw it under the microscope and I go, I see why it stays together. The the cellular walls that are linked to each other. Wow, those those look like building blocks. It makes sense now. We begin to realize there's more meaning to our seeing and we believe it. John began putting the pieces together and believed what has taken place. Now, note here, verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture. Keep this in mind. My belief and my seeing horao is not dependent on my understanding. Some of us hold back from Jesus because we don't understand it. I, I can see John going... He wasn't stolen. That kind of represents things that I know of from the Old Testament. This, this is the that Jesus talked about a new covenant. I, I think he actually like rose from the dead. Like I think, he, I think he actually did it. But, but what John says himself is he didn't go back and he starts going, okay. So yeah, so when David wrote Psalm, you know, this and that, oh, oh, that was the resurrection. Yeah, and when he, that, John didn't have that yet. He didn't have the understanding. He didn't have anything, but he had enough to sit there and go, this, this is real. Like Jesus really is not here and somebody didn't steal him. Jesus is alive. John gets all excited and and then we find out later that the pieces are actually put together by Jesus, right? The road to Emmaus. The disciples believed. They saw. They hurrah They saw. They believed. And they're journeying down, talking about the events of the past weekend. And, and Jesus comes along. This is the story, right? Road to Emmaus. And they're like, but we don't get it. We, we don't understand it. And Jesus starts to unfold the scriptures. It says the prophets. And all of the law. Then they begin to understand. I, I, I'd love to have an expanded, you know, footnote on the conversation, the road to Emmaus. I, I wonder at what point in time they, they were like, well, hold, stop, stop, time out, Jesus. I know we need to get to dinner. Hold on a second, time out. So when you were talking with the Pharisees and you said, knock this down and I'll rebuild it, that, that was about, the, and Jesus is like, yep. I think that's when understanding started to put together, but it didn't stop them from believing in who Jesus is. Turn to John chapter 6 again. John chapter 6, verse 14. After the feeding of the 5,000, verse 14, when the people... Okay, I'm just waiting for everybody else to get the same page. Okay? John chapter 6, verse 14. When the people... 
the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They thoraod, or thoraod. They, they realized, they understood, I'm sorry, horao, not thoraod, horao. They, they believed in this process. They saw what Jesus was doing when he fed the 5,000. It went from, this is a really cool miracle worker, to this is the prophet that has been talked about for generation upon generation. Turn to John 16. I want to help kind of paint this picture a little bit further. I know I'm giving you a lot of Greek, and, and in one sense it's kind of like, oh, I wanted a scholarly education. I could have stayed home today. John 16, verse 16. You there? Who needs more time? Okay, good. John 16, 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will. So, so let's just go through that again. A little while and you will no longer. And again, a little while and you will. Yeah. See, Jesus, when he talks right here, makes the transition from theoreto to horao in that verse. So listen to this kind of re-engineered. In a little while, in a little while, you will attribute meaning in observing me no more. And then after a little while, you will grasp the truth of me. Think about this. Friday, Jesus is crucified. In a little while, you will no longer attribute meaning to me. What happened when he died? Disciples kind of scattered. They were confused. They no longer, they said he, he is the Messiah, but he's just been crucified, so we no longer attribute meaning to him. But then in a little while, three days later, Sunday morning, resurrection, you will harao me, you will grasp the truth, which is exactly what John did in John chapter 20. By the way, it's, it's a great passage. You can keep reading through it. We'll, we'll go back. It's not until after the resurrection that Jesus' disciples are able to actually grasp the truth of Jesus' real meaning concerning himself. So all the time when Jesus was talking about himself and explaining what was going to take place, they're kind of like, yeah, okay, we're not the Pharisees. We know that you're capable of whatever you say, but yeah, we don't quite figure that out. And until Jesus reveals himself and says, this is what it meant that they start to put the connections together. That is, they saw the full spiritual truth of Jesus Christ, his relationship with God and his mission in the spiritual sense. Let's go back to Mary for a moment. John chapter 20, let's pick it up at verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take care of him. So just pause her for a second. Still back in the garden, after the tomb, after the encounter with the angels, she turns around, she hears this guy. Again, another whole sermon in and of itself. James, life after death? 
great question here. How is it that Jesus was himself, but Mary didn't recognize him? Because at that point in time, she had put some pieces together, but she was not expecting Jesus to be standing right there. In her mind, they'd still stole his body. So when Jesus goes, when Jesus asks her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary turns around and sees this gardener. She just sees another Jewish man. Same age as Jesus, same, you know, in general appearance. But but, but she just, because in her mind, somebody stole his body. Now she goes on. Sir, if you've carried away, tell him so I can take care of him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have Parao. For Mary, it took Jesus speaking her name. And then all of the pieces came together. John started getting it all figured out while he's watching Peter scratch his head. Wheels spinning. John finally figures it out, but they take off. Mary's left there. Mary figures it out when Jesus says her name. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 prays for the church of Ephesus that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. See, Paul knew full well, look, the church could be doing miracles, the church could be speaking in different languages, the church can be serving the church, but until you see from the heart who Jesus is, you still won't believe. Perhaps this is where I'm at in my relationship with Jesus. I've heard it. I've seen it. I believe it. I don't understand everything, but I'm buying in to what he has said and what he does. So in what ways does my life reflect my full belief in the resurrected Lord? How do other people look at Terry and go, man, he, he talks about seeing him. No, but that's not it. I, I see some different things. So, so he's putting the, no, no, no. How do people look at Terry and go, man, he has hurrahed the risen Lord. He's in, hook, line, sinker. He is, he is all in. He believes Jesus Christ is Lord. In what ways does my life reflect my full belief? In the resurrected Lord. This morning, we have someone who wants to make a more complete declaration of her belief in the resurrected Lord. So, Miss Emma Parker, you really want to go in the water today. You know, as, as you can come on up, as, as time moves along and stuff, we, we recognize that. Uh, there are better ways to improve and do things. And one of the things that we have found is for people going through baptism to share their testimony here. Something about water and noise and it's hard to hear or something like that. I, I don't know. But uh, but Emma, this is your de- declaration. You're, you're saying, I believe in the resurrected Lord. And, and so I want you to share what's been going on in your life and uh, 
why we're reaching this point that in, you know, 20 minutes or so, not because I'm going to preach for another 20 minutes, but by the time we change and get down to the pink house and stuff like that, that um, you're saying, no, I, I don't care that it's only 40-something degrees outside. I don't care that the water temperature is only 40, 43 if for the water. Yeah, okay. I don't care about that because you know what? I, I'm sold out to Jesus and, uh, and I want to do this. So share with us this morning. I was born into a Christian family and have been part of the church from day one. I went to church every week, participated in Sunday school, and read the Bible with my family. I have a very blessed childhood and a very loving family. In second grade, I said the words and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but my actions did not match up with my words. My reasoning behind accepting Jesus as my Savior was because everyone around me had, so I should too. My third through sixth grade years, I took Bible lessons in school, went to church, and attended Sunday school. I went through a day-to-day life learning about the Bible, but I did this for self-advancement and not for Christ. Prayer was not incorporated in my quiet time as much as it should be in the spiritual journey with Christ Jesus. While I continued to learn some Bible knowledge, it wasn't until seventh grade that I started to realize that accepting the free gift of salvation is not a one-and-done thing, but is an ongoing journey that you work through your entire life. During during seventh grade, I became disciplined to read the Bible on my own and prayed on a regular daily basis. I learned guitar when I was six and sang since I could remember, but I did it only for fun and attention and did not understand the concept of worship. During seventh grade, I began to play and sing for the kingdom of God. In eighth grade, I was growing up, and since I had such an amazing childhood, I really struggled to let go of being a child and step into the new shoes of being a teen. It was such a daunting time because, as a child, I loved to play, but when I lost interest in childish activities, I felt like I was losing losing a huge part of my identity. That summer, going into freshman year, I got the opportunity to visit Camp Alaska. This was my very first summer camp, and I can safely say it changed me and changed my perspective of a Christian life. The staff spoke into my life, and I was able to be around others my age that came from all different walks of life in a safe space. After that summer, I went home feeling refreshed and renewed. I had a confidence in who I was as a teen and was ready to kick off a new school year. My freshman year started off strong but it hit its dim point and went downhill fast. I was easily fixated on things of the world, and Christ was pushed to the side. However, God is always at work, and I began to dive into the Word and use my guitar to worship Christ and meet Him again. My freshman year was difficult at times, but it did have its awesome moments. During our annual prayer summit at our church, I had the opportunity to play guitar and sing with the worship team, and it was a memorable experience for me. The summer leading into my sophomore year was wonderful. I was able to read my Bible every morning and night and spend 20 minutes in prayer every morning and night. My relationship with Christ grew, and I felt confident in who I was as a child of God. Toward the end of the summer, I got a job at Dining at the Edge here in town, and God was able to work through me and show his love to others. Unfortunately, 
despite diving into the word and learning who I was in Christ, up until this day I haven't had anxiety and a very strong imagination. Throughout my entire childhood, I bowed nightmares and spent countless nights in tears. Rather than going to Christ, I thought I was strong enough to resolve the fears on my own. Fortunately, God has a way of humbling us, and he made me realize that I couldn't fight my anxiety on my own. Through a series of events between me and God, I have learned I needed to be obedient to God and give my fears to him. In addition, God calls us to be obedient to him by being baptized. For several years, I've been considering baptism, but I was too fearful to be in front of you guys. While I'm still fearful, obviously, (laughs) I'm in front of you today to show my public profession of faith and my commitment to Christ Jesus. In Matthew, Christ calls his disciples to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm being baptized to follow through with what Christ commanded. As mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity to visit Camp Alaka, and it changed me. This year I applied and was selected for a high school internship and will spend four weeks as a junior worship counselor. When Jesus was on earth, he was baptized by John the Baptist. He set an example for us, and I believe that as an intern, I should set an example of faith for the younger generation, just as Christ did for us. So here at OCC, we practice, uh, we follow the the line and the example of Christ, and that is we dedicate uh, when children are younger, and then we hold the believer's baptism when they're ready, right? And uh, Emma is saying now is the time that she is ready to do that. You are having somebody go in the water with you. I, I give, I give baptizees, bat, I don't know what you actually call them. Uh, I give those that I'm baptizing an opportunity to have somebody in the water with them. And so I invited Emma to that, and you have decided to have somebody in the water with you. Yeah, I selected Sayla because I've known her for 12 years, and she's been a huge role model in my life and a huge role in my spiritual journey. So, so there's no like I'm getting back revenge sort of thing or, or anything involved with this. This is I, I just it, it's all good. Thank you, Emma. And uh, so yeah, so Emma has uh, well here I'll I'll ask these again. You know, uh, is it your desire to uh, to publicly you said it? You know, this is kind of the formalities, now, right? Uh, is it really your desire to to declare uh, through the act of baptism that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And so it is your wish to get baptized? Yeah. Today? Yes, in the very cold water. Okay. All right. Well, we will do that after service. Thank you, Emma. So after service, we obviously encourage fellowship and and, and stuff like that. Emma will need to get changed. Sailor will need to get changed. I will need to get changed. And then we will head down to Pink House. And, uh... Some of us are going to get cold. Some are going to get colder than others. Um, but that's okay because, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this process. I'm committed to, to the joys and the journey of baptism. We don't believe that baptism is magical, but we do believe that there's a spiritual grace that is involved in following obediently with Christ and, and being baptized. 
I have I have rumors. I've heard that there might be at least one other person that might want to get baptized down the road here. Um, if there are others, again, I encourage you to just come talk to me. It, it, was it horrible to talk with me, Emma? Was it scary to talk with me? Okay, not too bad. So I just I encourage that we would we would love to baptize you. We do it in Clearwater River. Um, we don't have a baptismal here. It's days like this that I'm kind of wishing we did. You know, 65 degree water versus 43 degree water. But uh, but I love the authenticity that goes with it. Because really, in the clear, I, I I'm not the clear water's not like this major polluted thing, nothing like that. But but there's something to be said about going. If I'm if I'm gonna do it, uh, let me just go in the water that God has given nearby, and uh, let's make it happen. So we'll pray that there's some fish roaming around and some other stuff in the process. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. This morning as we've talked about the look, the look that that we might have with regard to Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the the empty tomb, the resurrected Lord. As we talk about this look, we might find ourselves in different places. And I want to ask us this morning, which of the categories best describes how I'm looking at Jesus right now? Are you just curious? Or skeptical? Do you kind of believe in him, but you're not really committed to it? Are you confident in who Jesus is? Are you committed to the relationship and yet go, you know what, I'm not sure that my whole life really reflects that commitment. What I want to do is offer an opportunity for you to respond. As Jesus is is speaking towards you in the process, I want to invite you to respond. And I've asked James and Greta if they would come up and they can just sit in the front seat. And I just invite, as we sing a closing song, and, and you reflect on the words and you reflect on what God may be saying to you this morning through John chapter 20, I invite you to respond to him and I've become less accustomed to being okay with the, I'm going to pray a prayer, you can raise your hand, all that kind of stuff. Like, if you're going to commit to Jesus, commit to Jesus. And maybe right now you're you're skeptical or you're curious. You're like, I, I'm not ready to fully commit. Come up and ask for prayer that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened. Invite God, challenge God to show himself to you more for the eyes of your mind and your hearts to be enlightened some more. But as we, as we sing this closing song, I invite you to just ponder, how am I looking at Jesus this morning? We've gathered together to celebrate Easter. How am I looking at Jesus this morning?